Totally Football Show. Today, Euro qualifiers. As England in Prague swallow some bitter pills, we round up the group orders. Who's tops? Who's chasers? Who's had a bitter round? Who's enjoying good spirits? Who's on the Lambrini? And who's no longer seeing 2020? Also, other things like the return of Ranieri and a big flip reverse in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Among the voices in your head today, we've got Matt Davies-Adams. Morning, James. Hi, Matt, from Chelsea TV. That's right, listener. And the Totally Football League show this week. Helming that, I think, Matt. Is that Mm, right? Certainly am. It's a big show as well this week, isn't it? Michael Cox is in from the Athletics Tactics uh, headquarters kind of (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Thanks, James. Right. And uh, and also a visitor to the Athletic this week, no, Shorten Athletic. Yes, very good. Right. Yeah. Uh, Tom Williams is here from ESPN and book writing about funny foreign football sayings. That's me. Hello, yeah. James. Yeah. We had actually the wonderful A Slice of Cheese in a recent show, mm. and uh, I'm not sure why, but the mention of, of your book was excised from that from that anecdote, if you'd just like to mention it now. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, uh, do you speak football? A glossary of football words and phrases from around the world uh, on sale. Brilliant. Currently. All right, and it contains the background to Slice of Cheese. I had a couple of people get in touch just to ask about Slice of Cheese and right. its etymology and how I'd come across it and, you know, was the footage still available on YouTube? It's all still out there. Right, okay. Excellent. <laughs> Michael, are you a fan of the Libertines? Yeah. But okay. Back in the day, I guess. You, are you excited to know that the seat that you're sat on was occupying the bottom of Carl Barrett. Yes. Only a few days ago. Did you know this? Did Ben tell you this? Uh, Nick told me, and it was slightly amusing because he said, guess who's coming in next week? Uh-huh. And I was like, I guess a couple of footballers. And then he said, no, Carl Barrett. And because I thought he was talking about a footballer, I thought he was talking about Earl Barrett, <laughs> who used to play right back for Aston Villa. Carl Barrett, I thought of Earl <laughs> Barrett as well. At least I'm not the only one. Oh, the Aston Villa fullback. No, the Libertine singer. Oh. Yeah. I, yeah, I was a fan back in the day. Why was he sat in that chair? I'll tell you. Oh, look, we were recording a special. We weren't, but the Money Needs Media did a special podcast for National Album Day in which he talks about his career and, uh, oddly enough, uh, Fleetwood Mac's rumours. Although, to be fair, if you're talking about an album, it's not that odd to be talking about rumours. Pretty much start there, I would suggest, Matt. But that's a topic for our National Album Day uh, podcast, which you can hear on nationalalbumday.co.uk or other places like Spotify and Audio Boom. Great. Okay. Football. Meantime, Tom, we'd, we'd best get on with that. Loads to talk about today. Want to hear about Cushelton Athletic against Kingstonian, and I know you want to tell us, Michael. And of course, there was a lot of WSL action, which you guys were at, uh, the big Chelsea-Arsenal match and that, and, and, and all those qualifiers. But, but let's begin with the latest on the race for Euro 2020. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Italy became the first of the co-hosts to qualify after their 2-0 win over Greece. They'll be playing in the opening match in Rome on the 12th of June. Also booking their place, Belgium, who won 8 from 8, Poland and Russia. Portugal, or Andriy Shevchenko's Ukraine, could join those teams tonight, depending on what happens when they meet in Kiev. Also this evening, France and Turkey, currently tied for top spot in Group H, will be facing each other at the Stade de France. And Spain will be up against Sweden, needing just a point away to qualify. As for the home nations in Ireland, or well, Mick McCarthy's Republic had a nil-nil at Georgia. Northern Ireland were 1-0 up to the Dutch going into the final minutes and still lost 3-1. Scotland 
at a Russian Crush and 4-0 but saved their peak performance for football mountain top San Marino and England went to Bohemia and lost their first qualifying game in a decade. And that's where we begin. And here is Andrzej and he scored! He has capped his debut with a goal! England won, Czech Republic two. Well, first off, the Czechs looked a bit better than last time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they were made to look pretty good by a hopeless-looking England team, but um, certainly they gave a good account of themselves. Mm. It started well for England. Harry came with the penalty, and then what happened? They didn't have any more shots on target uh, for a start. I mean, it, the England team is so top-heavy, it's ridiculous. That, that front three of, of Sterling, uh, Kane and Jaden Sancho, the envy of, of most countries in Europe, I'm sure, but they hardly had a kick of the ball because... Uh, behind them, Rice and Henderson didn't particularly work. Very few successful forward passes from them. And then this very, very odd back four that Gareth Southgate picked that I would say three of the four of them were extremely lucky to get in there based on the way they've been playing this season. And yeah, conceded a poor goal from a corner and, and didn't defend well all night and deserved mm. to leave, lose the match. Set-piece issues continue. This from Matt Davis-Adams on Twitter. Defending corners is so last season. Someone check if Marlo Stanfield had an English grandparent. You later correct yourself, though. Yeah, quite, because Marlo obviously was better at taking corners than defending them. Right. So it's more of a, a, a Bodie season one to two uh, defence that was required. Very nice. Duncan Alexander also active on social media. Uh, the Czechs, Kafka is unsettling, inexplicable. England will bench Trent forever. Czechs, OK, you win. What? what what do you think is going on there? With uh, Why would Gareth go with that back line that everybody's so perplexed by? I don't really understand. You know, Trent Alexander-Arnold is going to be England's right back for the next 15 years, theoretically. Michael Keane's in dreadful form for Everton. Harry Maguire's not having a great time at Man United. You've got Joe Gomez on the bench, who in the absence of, of John Stones is, is probably England's most complete centre-back, I'd say. And actually, probably even in the presence of John Stones, that holds true. And then Danny Rose getting in the team ahead of Ben Chilwell. Um, so, yeah, I'm slightly puzzled by the makeup of the defence. And there are suggestions that he that Southgate might, might now switch to a back three against Bulgaria. But I'm not sure that's the... I'm not sure that's the solution. England have looked quite good in a 4-3-3. Think about that fantastic win that they got in Spain in the Nations League a year ago, which was England's best competitive result in absolute you know, ages. That was with the 4-3-3. The front three works. I think the goalkeeper was all right for now. I think it's, it's personnel rather than, than tactics that are England's issue currently. Okay. I mean, England will qualify anyway, uh, barring something truly calamitous. But the consensus does seem to be that there's a kind of inversion of quality. Michael, how worried should England fans be and what do you think the problem is? Well, this was funny. I saw the reaction to this game before I actually watched the game. I watched it on Saturday and I didn't think it was quite as bad as some people said. I mean, we did create two one-on-ones in the second half for Kane and Sterling. Usually they'd put away one of those. That was at one all, and England would go on to win the game. But I do agree there's some issues in personnel. I mean, I agree with what the guys have said about the defence. I think also the combination of Henderson and, and Rice is pretty pedestrian, isn't it? You know, you've got Harry Winks on the bench, who I don't think is a complete player, but is very good on the ball, is very good positionally. Um, and I just think England needs someone in that midfield who can pass the ball, basically. I think the defence will get solved. I mean, the defence has looked pretty good in, in previous games, and I think Southgate probably was just rotating and certainly in the fullback positions. But yeah, midfield is the, the for me is the major issue. Right. I've never been particularly convinced by Rice. I think he's an all right player. I've never seen anything that makes him look better than a, a kind of mid-table player at this age. And the fact that you've had a series of results that even if Friday wasn't as bad as as, you, as some might think, 
there have been pretty negative results. Kosovo, Holland in the, in the Nations League. It, it does seem like that early enthusiasm around Southgate is rather evaporating. Gareth Southgate managed Middlesbrough for 150 games in England, under-21s for 33. It's, it's not like he's a vastly experienced coach, so it's not surprising that he's quite limited in, in you know, his knowledge of, of how to, to get a team to perform. He has lots of pluses in, in the way that he set the team up initially, but he is, a, a, to all intents and purposes, a rookie manager, so he's going to make mistakes like this. Um, I'm not sure that there's anybody at the moment who screams out, oh, he'd be a much better England manager than Gareth Southgate is. Mm. So that's the way it's going to be, unfortunately. All right. Well, oh, sorry, Tom. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing you would say is it's not a bad time to have this sort of setback. England will qualify inevitably, so qualification is not in jeopardy. And they've now got time to sort out these problems. Much better to have this sort of result and this sort of performance now, months out from the tournament, than in one of the games immediately prior to the tournament, when you've already committed to whatever approach yeah. you're going you're gonna to take, and then you have to go back to the drawing board. So I mean, it's, it's a good test for Southgate, you know, because this, OK, and he, he tweaked the system a bit, and, and he was playing players who you know who perhaps you wanted to have a look at you know, rather than players who were sort of nailed on starters but it's, it's a chance for him to to try and come up with something different all right by the way james the last qualification loss yeah. for england uh-huh. was that game as you say 10 years ago against ukraine which i think you were one of the only people to actually watch was that, that was the game 10 years ago mm. brilliant I wrote the stat pack for that game. Did you, man? <laughs> I did, yeah. I wow. was writing uh, Ukrainian phonetics for David Pleat, which kind of felt like weeing in the wind a little bit. Right. But, um, yeah. Michael, <laughs> I mean, you're exaggerating when you say I was the only person to watch it because Sven saw it as well. Yeah. When he wasn't uh, looking at his phone, he did, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Were you there then at Askew Road that yes, day? Yes, yes. Brilliant. So this was a bold new experiment by the FA in selling the rights to that England game to... Was it Satanta? It was Perform who broadcast it. Was Perform, it. right. And yeah. it was put out on the internet. Yeah. So it was the first time an England game had ever gone out on the internet, just on the internet. And that screened was... in Odeon cinemas, as I recall. Or was well. it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Well, they certainly got a lot of bang for their buck. I can't, <laughs> I can't remember much about the game. Much of my attention was taken up by Sven and his phone, to be fair. Uh, he was a, a singular guest, and not, not nearly as affable as he proved to our friend Jonathan Norcroft in a, in a terrific piece that Jonathan's just done. Uh, Shay Sven... Uh, away in Sweden. But anyway, yeah, great knowledge, Michael. And England had already qualified, hadn't they? So, yeah, well, was a dead rubber. You can probably say it's our first loss for longer than that, I would I would say. Well, technically, no. Technically, no, but, you know, Friday was the real quiz. All right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in that game, Rob Green became the first England goalkeeper to ever be sent off. Is that right? Yeah, replaced by David James, who came on for Aaron Lennon. Wow. You'd like to think I could remember some of this happening. <laughs> Sven took his shoes off. Do you remember this, Matt? I don't remember that. I remember he insisted on getting a limo to and from. Right. And he got like 25 grand or something ridiculous oh, yeah. for it as well, didn't he? Uh, we all did, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. You might have. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't even my yearly salary at that point, I don't think. <laughs> no, no, happy memories. <laughs> happy, happy memories. Anyway, by the time you hear this, listener, England may well have kicked off against Bulgaria. And if they win that match and cross over, fail to beat Montenegro, England will have booked their place in the pan-continental football experience that is Euro 2020. All right, with that in mind, let's turn our thoughts to some of the other uh, regionally local footballing nations. I think that's probably a nice <laughs> neutral way to describe them. Northern Ireland, for, for a start, who are now three points behind Netherlands and Germany. They went to Rotterdam to take on the Dutch, held out resolutely for over an hour, took the lead even against the run of play in the 75th minute, and with 10 minutes late, were 1-0 up 
which would have been a huge result for them. Tom, how did it finish? Finished 3-1 to the Netherlands. Ah. Uh, a couple of goals for Memphis Depay, mm. um, who is very much Ronald Koeman's talisman, uh, and another goal for Luke de Jong. And yeah, a seconder for Northern Ireland, who made such an impressive start to that group. And we always knew that that you know they were going to be up against it going into their last run of games. Um, they are at home to the Netherlands in their next game, and then they finish away at Germany. So if they could have got anything out of that trip to Holland, right? Uh, you know, even if it was just a point, that would have been something. But it's yeah, it doesn't it doesn't look great for them in terms of automatic qualification. No, they're three points behind the Dutch and the Germans. The Dutch uh, will qualify with a draw in Northern Ireland in in their next game. Uh, Ronald Koeman didn't particularly enjoy. Northern Ireland's approach to the game, uh, describing it as outrageous and terrible to watch. <laughs> oh, uh, well, I wonder what he would have made of a group featuring Scotland, who of course got done 4-0 by Russia, but then bounced back with a massive and convincing 6-0 win over San Marino and an extraordinary downpour actually at Hampden. John McGinn with a hat-trick. We've got a Scotland hat-trick stat. Okay. If anyone's interested. Yeah, Between sure. 1970 and 2014... No Scotland players scored any hat-tricks. And since 2014, there have been three. What does it mean, Tom? That Scotland have been very, very bad for a right. long time. And uh-huh. a, Is that a green shoot? Are you seeing a glimmer of recovery there? I'm not sure I'd go that far. I think okay. John McGinn is, is a green shoot in, him, in himself. Right. You know, we've seen for Villa already this season. He's made that transition from Championship to Premier League pretty seamlessly. And, and it's not that Scotland don't have good players. Mm. They just don't have enough of them. So Stephen Fletcher got one, didn't he? I seem to recall. Do we oh, know we, who the other one was? Do the hat tricks. Yeah. Stephen Fletcher, Griffiths. Did he? Did he get one? I Lee feel like Griffiths. he might have Lee Griffiths. I tell you, this is turning into a quiz. <laughs> uh, We've, yeah, we, we might have a, a proper quiz a little bit later on, depending on how we go. Would you like that, Michael? Oh, very much so. Yeah, brilliant. All right. Well, we'll try and fit in a quiz list and stick around uh, while we discuss Wales. Tom, two must-win fixtures: uh, Slovakia and then home to Croatia. Two one-one draws. Where does that leave you and and Ryan? Well, in actual fact, they weren't really must-win fixtures. Were they not? Because oh, the playoff. No, not not the playoff even. So Wales's current situation is that with two games to play, they will qualify automatically if they win away to Azerbaijan and at home to Hungary and Croatia don't lose against Slovakia um, in their next game. So on sort of form, Wales should be capable of doing that. Croatia, because of this draw in Cardiff last night, they now need to avoid defeat in that game against Slovakia to rubber stamp their qualification. Right. So Wales should be able to rely on them to do them a favour. And then if Wales can't win away to Azerbaijan and at home to Hungary, they probably right. don't deserve to qualify anyway. Azerbaijan, um, you'll be without Joe Allen. We'll be without Joe Allen, um, who is you know a, a key figure in in sort of setting the tempo at the base of midfield, as he has been for the last few years. Um, but I mean, two I thought two quite encouraging performances okay. um, you know away against Slovakia Ryan Giggs gambled by picking Kiefer Moore the Wigan Athletic striker he got the goal his first international goal with a, with a really nice header from a Daniel James cross Slovakia came back into it and equalised but with Wales having already beaten Slovakia that's quite a useful point because it means that Wales can now afford to finish level on points with Slovakia because they'll still be ahead of them on, on head to head and then this draw against Croatia last night um, Croatia taking the lead um, early on through Nikola Vlasic mm. uh, and then Bale equalising uh, on the stroke of half time means that um, Wales only needs Croatia to get a draw against Slovakia whereas oh. without that result they would have needed Croatia to beat Slovakia so yeah um, positive signs uh, a very physical game like surprisingly for modern football a lot of big shuddering challenges Daniel James got laid out by Domagoj Vida did he though? he, he did 
I mean, he did. I mean, we don't know whether he got sparked out, but he right. got like he was, you know. Sort of well, that's, it's a really curious scene. So he's down for what two and a half, three minutes. Yeah, yeah. And the way that he initially goes down is kind of head lolls to one side, like he's completely out. Uh, and then afterwards, he says, "No, I was just employing," or I think his manager describes it as a bit of gamesmanship. I wonder if that's maybe covering the medical staff to an extent in that he shouldn't have carried on in the game. Ethan Ampadu went off in the second half with suspected concussion. And um, I thought it was bizarre that James was allowed to carry on in the match given what looked like a pretty severe injury. Um, So, yeah, I wonder if it it was just... Yeah, it wasn't like he was rolling around in classic acting up fashion. He, He looked absolutely out for the count, as you say. Yeah, I mean, we can't know whether he was... Unconscious. I mean, obviously, he he didn't look in a great but way, but you you can't know for sure. And I suppose, yeah. I mean, I, the suspicion is that whatever happened, Wales's medical staff may be covering their own backs by saying, well, he wasn't. That's why he went back on. But it's 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 always dangerous to sort of try and judge these things from a distance because we we don't know what right. sort of state he was in. Although, whilst we now accept a certain amount of rolling around in terms of trying to accentuate a, a foul. Does it not sound really dangerous to suggest that a manager was happy with his player pretending to be concussed, pretending to need that kind of medical attention? I, I I've not seen those. Winning I, I've advantage. not seen those quotes. Well, yeah, Ryan so Giggs says that essentially he was just he was just being a bit clever. Right. Okay. I mean, Which, a curious time to be clever five minutes after you've gone one nil down in a vital qualifier. But yeah, I mean, you know, the positive thing is that Daniel James was able to play on. Didn't seem to be you know unduly affected. Right. Didn't you know? Um, uh, at least, again, watching from from the distance that, that we watched that. But um, so yeah, so qualification still in the balance. Um, Wales without Joe Allen for the trip to Azerbaijan, which is unfortunate. But um, I, you know, I, I've seen in these last two games signs of improvement under Ryan Giggs, um, who obviously has not been flavour of the month with the Wales fans pretty much from the get go. Um, but you know, Wales are in a decent position now to go on and qualify. They should qualify, really, looking at the you know the, the way the group stands. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess we'll see how they get on in the, in the next two games. All right, then, Tom. After this, other lands, other football. Spain got held by Norway uh, in a match which featured Sergio Ramos winning his 168th cap. Uh, he's now the most capped European outfield player of all time. That's extraordinary. Other people chasing all-time highs. Oh, the Cristiano Ronaldo is now up to 699 goals, Tom. There was a stat on Twitter that I retweeted that he's now scored as many goals in his career as Kenny Dalglish and Dennis Law combined. Wow. Obviously very different eras and different numbers of games and and all the rest of it. It's still pretty crazy to think that, you know, Dalglish and Law are what, sort of top 30 all-time strikers probably, I'd say. And Ronaldo has scored as many goals as both of them put together and is still going. And probably is going to overtake Ali Dai, I think. He's yeah. he's now he's on ninety four international he's, goals he's, I believe and Ali Dai is on one hundred and nine. Right, so right. Ronaldo's hunting him down. And to be honest, Ali Dai's done well to hang on to that for as long as he has. Yeah, I, I looked up Ali Dai's uh, goal scoring stats. I must say, ahead of this podcast, and can exclusively reveal that he scored eight against the Maldives, eight against Laos, six against Lebanon, five against Sri Lanka, five against Nepal. Right, it's, it's not quite comparing like with like. There's a big asterisk uh, alongside those yeah. figures. That's the thing. Asian World Cup qualifiers are the place if you like goals, and a further testament to that came just this weekend actually is uh, that that uh, Iran game against uh, who were they playing were they allowed Cambodia to, it was Cambodia and it finished 14-0 to Iran in front of for the first time in 40 years a full contingent or at least a sizable contingent of female fans in fact producer Ben reveals that in the 16 games in the Asian 
World Cup qualifying this time around. There were 84 goals. That's quite a lot. Anyway, uh, elsewhere in the world, France had a wonder win over Iceland with Steve Mandanda in goal. How did that work out? Worked out well in the sense that he had very little to do. Um, it was a, a, a ground-out victory, courtesy of a 66th-minute Olivier Giroud penalty. And that means that if France beats Turkey this evening, mm. Monday, they yep. will qualify for Euro 2020. Still no Ugarisa. Mondanda is, is still filling goal. No Conte, no Pogba, no Mbappe. Right, um, Conte. So slightly weakened. Yeah, so he, um, he felt uh, a muscular twinge in the warm-up uh, in Reykjavik uh, and was replaced. So we, we await news on, on his fitness. Right. Um, it's a real concern for Chelsea that. He's not, just not been able to get going this season at all. And... and Obviously, he's a key player, but also Mateo Kovacic went off injured last night for Croatia. Andreas Christensen. Ben Davis. Yeah, yeah. Up to the Wales goal. Uh, Ethan Ampadu as well. Obviously, he's not at Chelsea at the moment. Andreas Christensen um, injured for Denmark as well. So it's not been a great international fortnight for Frank Lampard, despite his pint with Prince William on Friday night. I, I missed that. He had a pint with Prince William. They went into a pub somewhere in London as part of an FA initiative on mental health and getting men to talk to each other. I heard they were there till four in the morning. Jaeger bombs just flying around. <laughs> Got pretty wild. Wow. Did anyone see Shaka and Licksteiner's free kick routine? Yes. What did I miss, Tom? So it was one of those where two players are standing over the ball and one of them faints to to take the free kick and runs over it and then the other one does and then the other first one runs back and it, yeah. It, what it looked like, Licksteiner had done a dummy run and then Xhaka did a dummy run and then circled back round and had intended to play the ball to Licksteiner but he was then marked so yeah it was a bit of a mess right oh, I tell you what wasn't a mess Zaha and Pepe combining for Ivory Coast's second goal they didn't against... combine Pepe just tapped it in Zaha no, did all did. the he work he backheels it in yeah okay he backheels it, it, it in it was a sublime finish to a wonderful build up it was the kind of thing that if he'd Missed it. He thought, oh, he's ruined what would have been a brilliant goal, but he didn't. He gave it the finish it deserved. Yes, but the, the talk of combination, which is what it has been described of, seems seems a bit unfair on Zahari. Right. Basically, beats six players and then tees up Pepe to put it in from on the goal line. Yeah, he dances through the DR Congo resistance, and, and, and then Pepe, as I say, does a little kind of mini zola at the end. Uh, very nice, good. Well, there you go. That's international football. Anything we've missed in that pretty comprehensive roundup? I did think it was slightly ludicrous that Sporting said they would be prepared to rename their stadium after Cristiano Ronaldo oh. given that he played 30 games for them and scored five goals and the stadium's named after the person who founded the club right seems a bit of a stretch that does seem surprising doesn't mm. it his uh, last yeah. game for sporting was at the inauguration of the stadium that game against, synergy that right. game against Manchester United where he was so good <laughs> that Manchester United were like we're going to have to sign him right that incredible United only went over there because they wanted a big name opponent for the first uh, game mm. well, one other thing actually internationally we, we might mention and it touches on that whole injury thing is that Neymar in the course of another disappointing performance from Brazil has picked up yet another disappointing injury the third time that he's been injured on Brazil duty in the last 12 months um, and the second injury was the ankle injury that kept him out of the Copa America so playing Nigeria in Singapore on what was apparently a fairly ropey pitch in front of a pretty thin crowd and it, it seems I don't know it, it, it quite anachronistic that in 2019 Brazil are still travelling around the world 
playing friendlies in front of empty stadiums in the way that they've been doing since the 1950s. Right. And yeah, you can imagine that at PSG they'll be pretty miffed that Neymar's picked up another injury. I mean, it, you know, it, apparently the initial scan suggested it was a fairly minor hamstring tear, so he right. doesn't look like he'll be out for all that long. But it probably means he's going to miss his his Champions League return, which was due to take place against uh, Club Brugge. And yeah, by all accounts, not not a vintage Brazil display. No, 48 matches he's missed in the last two seasons so far and Brazil's uh, money chasing antics continue they'll be screening matches on internet only platforms <laughs> soon the way they're going I'm Jose Mourinho I know a thing or two about being special nearly dying in a laundry basket special winning the little jackpot on Paddy Power Games not special understood Jose yes someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day so if you win, don't think you're special. Daily Jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators. Available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. 18plusbgambleware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Hey, listen, I don't know what you were getting up to while all that was going on, but we've had Nick Miller come in with a laptop and quiz questions. Nick, thank you so much. That's quite all right. What have you knocked up for us? Some quiz questions, Yes. Uh, There are a number of categories. How's it going to work? So I'm going to ask the questions. The uh, panel in the studio are going to write their answers down and then later on... Right, and you at home as well, listener. You play along. Grab a pen and paper. And then later on in the podcast, we'll come back with the answers. All right, so what is it? Kind of Is it themed rounds? What what do we do? Sure, yes. There are... uh, So we've got a round on career path or a limited career pass and then something on quotes and then there's some bonus rounds later on if we've got time yeah we've got time it's international week Nick (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) time's what we've got All right. well uh, fire away then if you you, are you ready listener okay let's go with round one so round one is career pass these are I'm going to give you the first three totally football show Today, Euro qualifiers. As England in Prague swallows some bitter pills, we round up the group orders. Who's tops? Who's chasers? Who's had a bitter round? Who's enjoying good spirit? Who's on the Lambrini? And who's no longer seeing 2020? Also, other things like the return of Ranieri and a big flip reverse in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Among the voices in your head today, we've got Matt Davies-Adams. Morning, James. Hi, Matt, from Chelsea TV. That's right, listener. And the Totally Football League show this week. Helming that, I think, Matt. Is that mm, right? Certainly am. It's a big show as well this week, isn't it? Michael Cox is in from the Athletics Tactics uh, headquarters kind of <laughs> Yeah, thing. that's true. Thanks, Workshop, James. Right. And, uh, and also a visitor, visitor to the Athletic this week no short and athletic yes very good right <laughs> uh, Tom Williams is here from ESPN and book writing about funny foreign football sayings that's me hello yeah. James we had actually the wonderful a slice of cheese in a recent show mm. and uh, I'm not sure why but the mention of, of your book was excised from that from that anecdote if you'd just like to mention it now oh was it yeah oh uh, do you speak football a glossary of football words and phrases from around the world uh, on sale. Brilliant. Currently. All right. And it contains the background to 
Slice of cheese. I had a couple of people get in touch just to ask about slice of cheese and right. its etymology and how I'd come across it and, you know, was the footage still available on YouTube? It's all still out there. Right, okay. Excellent. Michael, are you a fan of the Libertines? Yeah. But okay. Back in the day, I guess. Were you, are you excited to know that the seat that you're sat on was occupying the bottom of Carl Barrett? Yes. Only a few days ago. Did you know this? Did Ben tell you this? Uh, Nick told me, and it was slightly amusing because... He said, guess who's coming in next week? Uh-huh. And I was like, I guess a couple of footballers. And then he said, no, Carl Barrett. And because I thought he was talking about a footballer, I thought he was talking about Earl Barrett, <laughs> who used to play right back for Aston Villa. Carl Barrett, I thought of Earl <laughs> yeah, Barrett as well. At least I'm not the only one. Oh, the Aston Villa fullback. No, the Libertine singer. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I was a fan back in the day. Why was he sat in that chair? I'll tell you. Oh, look, we were recording a special. We weren't, but the Money and His Media did a special podcast for National Album Day in which he talks about his career and uh, oddly enough, uh, Fleetwood Mac's rumours. Although, to be fair, if you're talking about an album, it's not that odd to be talking about rumours. Pretty much start there, I would suggest, Matt. But that's a topic for our National Album Day uh, podcast, which you can hear on nationalalbumday.co.uk or other places like Spotify and Audio Boom. Great. OK, football. Meantime, Tom, we'd, we'd best get on with that. Loads to talk about today. Want to hear about Cushorton Athletic against Kingstonian, and I know you want to tell us, Michael. And of course, there was a lot of WSL action, which you guys were at, uh, the big Chelsea-Arsenal match and that, and, and, and all those qualifiers. But, but let's begin with the latest on the race for Euro 2020. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Italy became the first of the co-hosts to qualify after their 2-0 win over Greece. They'll be playing in the opening match in Rome on the 12th of June. Also booking their place, Belgium, who won 8 from 8, Poland and Russia. Portugal, or Andriy Shevchenko's Ukraine, could join those teams tonight, depending on what happens when they meet in Kiev. Also this evening, France and Turkey, currently tied for top spot in Group H, will be facing each other at the Stade de France. And Spain will be up against Sweden, needing just a point away to qualify. As for the home nations in Ireland, or well, Mick McCarthy's Republic had a nil-nil at Georgia. Northern Ireland were 1-0 up to the Dutch going into the final minutes and still lost 3-1. Scotland had a Russian crush in 4-0 but saved their peak performance for football mountaintop San Marino. And England went to Bohemia and lost their first qualifying game in a decade. And that's where we begin. England won, Czech Republic two. Well, first off, the Czechs looked a bit better than last time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they were made to look pretty good by a hopeless-looking England team, but um, certainly they gave a good account of themselves. Mm. It started well for England. Harry came with the penalty. And then what happened? They didn't have any more shots on target uh, for a start. I mean, it, the England team is so top-heavy, it's ridiculous. Isn't that, that front three of, of Sterling... Uh, Kane and Jaden Sancho, the envy of, of most countries in Europe, I'm sure, but they hardly had a kick of the ball because uh, behind them, Rice and Henderson didn't particularly work. Very few successful forward passes from them. And then this very, very odd back four that Gareth Southgate picked that I would say three of the four of them were extremely lucky to get in there based on the way they've been playing this season. And yeah, conceded a poor goal from a corner and, and 
didn't defend well all night and deserved mm. to leave, lose the match. Set-piece issues continue. This from Matt Davis-Adams on Twitter. Defending corners is so last season. Someone check if Marlo Stanfield had an English grandparent. You later correct yourself, though. Yeah, quite, because Marlo obviously was better at taking corners than defending them. Right. So it's more of a, a, a Bodie season one to two uh, defence that was required. Very nice. Duncan Alexander also active on social media. Uh, the checks. Kafka is unsettling, inexplicable. England will bench Trent forever. Checks. Okay, you win. What, what do you think is going on there? With uh, wh- Why would Gareth go with that back line that everybody's so perplexed by? I don't really understand. You know, Trent Alexander-Arnold is going to be England's right back for the next 15 years, theoretically. Michael Keane's in dreadful form for Everton. Harry Maguire's not having a great time at Man United. You've got Joe Gomez on the bench, who in the absence of, of John Stones is, is probably England's most complete centre-back, I'd say. And actually, probably even in the presence of John Stones, that holds true. And then Danny Rose getting in the team ahead of Ben Chilwell. Um, so, yeah, I'm slightly puzzled by the makeup of the defence. And there are suggestions that he that Southgate might, might now switch to a back three against Bulgaria. But I'm not sure that's the... I'm not sure that's the solution. England have looked quite good in a 4-3-3. Think about that fantastic win that they got in Spain in the Nations League a year ago, which was England's best competitive result in absolute you know, ages. That was with the 4-3-3. The front three works. I think the goalkeeper's all right for now. I think it's, it's personnel rather than, than tactics that are England's issue currently. Okay. I mean, England will qualify anyway, uh, barring something truly calamitous. But the consensus does seem to be that there's a kind of inversion of quality. Michael, how worried should England fans be and what do you think the problem is? Well, this was funny. I saw the reaction to this game before I actually watched the game. I watched it on Saturday and I didn't think it was quite as bad as some people said. I mean, we did create two one-on-ones in the second half for Kane and Sterling. Usually they'd put away one of those. That was at one all, and England would go on to win the game. But I do agree there's some issues in personnel. I mean, I agree with what the guys have said about the defence. I think also the combination of Henderson and, and Rice is pretty pedestrian, isn't it? You know, you've got Harry Winks on the bench, who I don't think is a complete player, but is very good on the ball, is very good positionally. Um, and I just think England needs someone in that midfield who can pass the ball, basically. I think the defence will get solved. I mean, the defence has looked pretty good in, in previous games, and I think Southgate probably was just rotating and certainly in the fullback positions. But yeah, midfield is the, the for me is the major issue. Right. I've never been <clears throat> particularly convinced by Rice. I think he's an all right player. I've never seen anything that makes him look better than a, a kind of mid-table player at this age. And the fact that you've had a series of results that even if Friday wasn't as bad as as, you, as some might think, there have been pretty negative results. Kosovo, Holland in the in the Nations League. It, it does seem like that early enthusiasm around Southgate is rather evaporating. Gareth Southgate managed Middlesbrough for 150 games in England under-21s for 33. It's, it's not like he's a vastly experienced coach, so it's not surprising that he's quite limited in, in you know, his knowledge of, of how to, to get a team to perform. He has lots of pluses in, in the way that he set the team up initially, but he is, a, a, to all intents and purposes, a rookie manager, so he's going to make mistakes like this. Um, I'm not sure that there's anybody at the moment who screams out, oh, he'd be a much better England manager than Gareth Southgate is. Mm. So that's the way it's going to be, unfortunately. All right. Well, oh, sorry, Tom. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing you would say is it's not a bad time to have this sort of setback. England will qualify inevitably, so qualification is not in jeopardy. And they've now got time to sort out these problems. Much better to have this sort of result and this sort of performance now, months out from the tournament, than in one of the games immediately prior to the tournament, when you've already committed to whatever approach yeah. you're going you're gonna to take, and then you have to go back to the drawing board. So I mean, it's, it's a good test for Southgate, you know, because this, OK, and he, he tweaked the system a bit, and, and he was playing players who, you know, who 
perhaps you wanted to have a look at you know, rather than players who were sort of nailed on starters. But it's it's a chance for him to to try and come up with something different. All right. By the way, James, the last qualification loss yeah. for England uh-huh. was that game, as you say, ten years ago against Ukraine, which I think you were one of the only people to actually watch. Was that that was the game ten years ago. Mm. Brilliant. I wrote the stat pack for that game. Did you, man? <laughs> I did, yeah. I wow. was writing uh, Ukrainian phonetics for David Pleat, which kind of felt like we in the wind a little bit. Right. But, um, yeah. Michael, <laughs> I mean, you're exaggerating when you say I was the only person to watch it because Fens saw it as well. Yeah. When he wasn't uh, looking at his phone, he did, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Were you there then at, at Askew Road that yes, day? Yes, yes. Brilliant. So this was a bold new experiment by the FA in selling the rights to that England game to... Was it Satanta? It was Perform who broadcast it. Perform, it. right. And yeah. it was put out on the internet. Yeah. So it was the first time an England game had ever gone out on the internet, just on the internet. And was... screened in Odeon cinemas, as I recall. Or was well. it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Well, they certainly got a lot of bang for their buck. I can't, <laughs> I can't remember much about the game. Much of my attention was taken up by Sven and his phone, to be fair. Uh, he was a, a singular guest and not, not nearly as affable as he proved to our friend Jonathan Norcroft in a, in a terrific piece that Jonathan's just done. Uh, Shay Sven... Uh, away in Sweden. But anyway, yeah, great knowledge, Michael. And England had already qualified, hadn't they? So, yeah, well, it was a dead rubber. You can probably say it's our first loss for longer than that, I would I would say. Well, technically, no. Technically, no, but, you know. Friday was the real quiz. All right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in that game, Rob Green became the first England goalkeeper to ever be sent off. Is that right? Yeah, replaced by David James, who came on for Aaron Lennon. Wow. You'd like to think I could remember some of this happening. <laughs> Sven took his shoes off. Do you remember this, Matt? I don't remember that. I remember he insisted on getting a limo to and from. Right. And he got like 25 grand or something ridiculous oh, yeah. for it as well, didn't he? Uh, we all did, to be fair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you might have. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't even my yearly salary at that point, I don't think. <laughs> no, no, happy memories. <laughs> happy, happy memories. Anyway, by the time you hear this, listener, England may well have kicked off against Bulgaria. And if they win that match and cross over, fail to beat Montenegro, England will have booked their place in the pan-continental football experience that is Euro 2020. All right, with that in mind, let's turn our thoughts to some of the other uh, regionally local footballing nations. I think that's probably a nice <laughs> neutral way to describe them. Northern Ireland, for, for a start, who are now three points behind Netherlands and Germany. They went to Rotterdam to take on the Dutch, held out resolutely for over an hour, took the lead even against the run of play in the 75th minute, and with 10 minutes late, were 1 0 up, which would have been a huge result for them. Tom, how did it finish? Finished 3 1 to the Netherlands. Ah. Uh, a couple of goals for Memphis Depay, mm. um, who is very much Ronald Koeman's talisman, uh, and another goal for Luke de Jong. And yeah, a sickener for Northern Ireland, who made such an impressive start to that group, and we always knew that. that you know, they were going to be up against it going into their last run of games. Um, they are at home to the Netherlands in their next game and then they finish away at Germany. So if they could have got anything out of that trip to Holland, right. uh, you know, even if it was just a point, that would have been something. But it's, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't look great for them in terms of automatic qualification. No, there's three points behind the Dutch and the Germans. The Dutch uh, will qualify with a draw in Northern Ireland in, in their next game. Uh, Ronald Koeman didn't particularly enjoy Northern Ireland's approach to the game, uh, describing it as outrageous and terrible to watch. <laughs> oh, uh, well, I wonder what he would have made of a group featuring Scotland, who of course got done 4-0 by Russia, but then bounced back with a massive and convincing 6-0 win over San Marino and an extraordinary downpour actually at Hampton. John McGinn with a hat-trick. We've got a Scotland hat-trick stat. Okay. Anyone's interested. Yeah, Between sure. 1970 and 2014, no Scotland players scored any hat-tricks. And since 2014, there have been three. 
What does it mean, Tom? That Scotland have been very, very bad for a right. long time. And uh-huh. a, Is that a green shoot? Are you seeing a glimmer of recovery there? I'm not sure I'd go that far. I think okay. John McGinn is, is a green shoot in, him, in himself. Right. You know, we've seen for Villa already this season, he's made that transition from Championship to Premier League pretty seamlessly. And, and it's not that Scotland don't have good players, mm. they just don't have enough of them. So Stephen Fletcher <laughs> got one, didn't he? I seem to recall. Do we oh, know who we, the other one was? Are going to try and do the hat tricks? Yeah. Stephen Fletcher, Griffiths, did he, did he get one? I Lee feel like Griffiths. he might have Lee Griffiths. I you, this is turning into a quiz. <laughs> uh, we've, yeah. We might have a, a proper quiz a little bit later on, depending on how we go. Would you like that, Michael? Oh, very much so, yeah. Brilliant. All right, well, we'll try and fit in a quiz list and let's stick around uh, while we discuss Wales. Tom, two must-win fixtures, uh, Slovakia and then home to Croatia. Two one-one draws. Where does that leave you and and Ryan? Well, in actual fact, they weren't really must-win fixtures. Were they not? Because oh, the playoff. No, not not the playoff even. So Wales's current situation is that with two games to play, they will qualify automatically if they win away to Azerbaijan and at home to Hungary and Croatia don't lose against Slovakia um, in their next game. So on sort of form, Wales should be capable of doing that. Croatia, because of this draw in Cardiff last night, they now need to avoid defeat in that game against Slovakia to rubber stamp their qualification. Right. So Wales should be able to rely on them to do them a favour. And then if Wales can't win away to Azerbaijan and at home to Hungary, they probably right. don't deserve to qualify anyway. Azerbaijan, um, you'll be without Joe Allen. We'll be without Joe Allen, um, who is you know a, a key figure in, in sort of setting the tempo at the base of midfield, as he has been for the last few years. Um, but I mean, two I thought two quite encouraging performances. Okay. Um, you know, away against Slovakia, Ryan Giggs gambled by picking Kiefer Moore, the Wigan Athletic striker. He got the goal, his first international goal, with a, with a really nice header from a Daniel James cross. Slovakia came back into it and equalised but with Wales having already beaten Slovakia that's quite a useful point because it means that Wales can now afford to finish level on points with Slovakia because they'll still be ahead of them on on head to head Uh, and then this draw against Croatia last night um, Croatia taking the lead um, early on through Nikola Vlasic and then Bale equalising on the stroke of half time means that um, Wales only needs Croatia to get a draw against Slovakia whereas without that result they would have needed Croatia to beat Slovakia so yeah um, positive signs Uh, a very physical game like surprisingly for modern football a lot of big shuddering challenges Daniel James got laid out by Domagoj Vida did he though? He, he did I mean, he did. I mean, we don't know whether he got sparked out, but he got, right. like, he was, you know... Sort of well, that's, it's a really curious scene. So he's down for, what, two and a half, three minutes? Yeah, yeah. And the way that he initially goes down is kind of head lolls to one side, like he's completely out. Uh, and then afterwards, he says, no, I was just employing... Or I think his manager describes it as a bit of gamesmanship. I wonder if that's maybe covering the medical staff to an extent in that he shouldn't have carried on in the game. Ethan Ampadu went off in the second half right. with suspected concussion and um, I thought it was bizarre that James was allowed to carry on in the match given what looked like a pretty severe injury yeah um, so yeah I wonder if it, if it was just yeah it wasn't yeah, like he was rolling around in classic acting up fashion he, he looked absolutely out for the count as you say yeah I mean we can't know whether he was unconscious I mean obviously he, he didn't look in a great but way but you, you can't know for sure and I suppose yeah I mean I, the suspicion is that whatever happened Wales's medical staff may be covering their own backs by saying well he wasn't that's why he went back on but it's 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 always dangerous to sort of try and judge these things from a distance because we, we don't know what right. sort of state he was in although whilst we now accept a certain amount of rolling around in terms of trying to accentuate a, a foul 
it, does it not sound really dangerous to suggest that a manager was happy with his player pretending to be concussed, pretending to need that kind of medical attention? I, I, I've, not seen, those, winning I, I've not seen those quotes. Well, yeah, Ryan so Giggs says that essentially he was just he was just being a bit clever. Right. Okay. I mean, Which... a curious time to be clever. Five minutes after you've gone one nil down in a vital qualifier. But yeah, I mean, you know, the positive thing is that Daniel James was able to play on. Didn't seem to be, you know, unduly affected. Right. Didn't, you know. Um, uh, at least, again, watching from from the distance that, that we watched at. But um, so yeah, so qualification still in the balance. Um, Wales without Joe Allen for the trip to Azerbaijan, which is unfortunate. But um, I, you know, I, I've seen in these last two games signs of improvement under Ryan Giggs, um, who obviously has not been flavour of the month with the Wales fans pretty much from the get go. Um, but you know, Wales are in a decent position now to go on and qualify. They should qualify, really, looking at the you know the, the way the group stands. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess we'll see how they get on in, a, in the next two games. All right, then, Tom. After this, other lands, other football. Spain got held by Norway uh, in a match which featured Sergio Ramos winning his 168th cap. Uh, he's now the most capped European outfield player of all time. That's extraordinary. Other people chasing all-time highs. Oh, the Cristiano Ronaldo's now up to 699 goals, Tom. There was a stat on Twitter that I retweeted that he's now scored as many goals in his career as Kenny Dalglish and Dennis Law combined. Wow. Obviously very different eras and different numbers of games and, and all the rest of it. It's still pretty crazy to think that you know Dalglish and Law are what, sort of top 30 all-time strikers probably, I'd say? And Ronaldo has scored as many goals as both of them put together and is still going. And probably is going to overtake Ali Dai, I think. He's yeah. he's now he's on ninety four international he's, goals he's, I believe and Ali Dai is on one hundred nine. Right, so Ronaldo's right. hunting him down. And to be honest, Ali Dai's done well to hang on to that for as long as he has. Yeah, I, I looked up Ali Dai's uh, goal scoring stats. I must say, ahead of this podcast, and can exclusively reveal that he scored eight against the Maldives, eight against Laos, six against Lebanon, five against Sri Lanka, five against Nepal. Right, it's, it's not quite comparing like with like. There's a big asterisk uh, alongside those yeah. figures. That's the thing. Asian World Cup qualifiers are the place if you like goals, and a further testament to that came just this weekend actually is uh, that that um, Iran game against uh, who were they playing were they allowed Cambodia to, it was Cambodia and it finished 14-0 to Iran in front of for the first time in 40 years a full contingent or at least a sizable contingent of female fans in fact producer Ben reveals that in the 16 games in the Asian World Cup qualifying this time around there were 84 goals that's quite a lot anyway uh, elsewhere in the world France had a wonder win over Iceland with Steve Mandanda in goal. How did that work out? Worked out well in the sense that he had very little to do. Um, it was a, a, a ground-out victory, courtesy of a 66th-minute Olivier Giroud penalty. And that means that if France beats Turkey this evening, mm. Monday, they yep. will qualify for Euro 2020. Still no Ugarisa. Mandanda is, is still, still in goal. No Conte, no Pogba, no Mbappe. Right, um, Conte. So slightly who's... weakened. Yeah, so he, um, he felt a, a muscular twinge in the warm-up uh, in Reykjavik uh, and was replaced. So we, we await news on on his fitness right um, it's a real concern for Chelsea that he's not just not been able to get going this season at all and, and obviously he's a key player but also Mateo Kovacic went off injured last night for Croatia Andreas Christensen Ben Davis yeah, yeah. Up to the Wales goal uh, Ethan Ampadu as well though obviously he's not at Chelsea at the moment Andreas Christensen um, injured for Denmark as well so it's not been a great 
international fortnight for Frank Lampard, despite his pint with Prince William on Friday night. I, I missed that. He had a pint with Prince William. They went into a pub somewhere in London as part of an FA initiative on mental health and getting men to talk to each other. I heard they were there till four in the morning. Jaeger bombs just flying around. <laughs> Got pretty wild. Wow. Did anyone see Shaka and Lickstein as free kick routine? Yes. What did I miss, Tom? So it was one of those where two players are standing over the ball and one of them faints to to take the free kick and runs over it and then the other one does and then the other first one runs back and it, yeah it what it looked like Licksteiner had done a dummy run and then Xhaka did a dummy run and then circled back round and had intended to play the ball to Licksteiner but he was then marked so yeah it was a bit of a mess right uh, I tell you what wasn't a mess Zaha and Pepe combining for Ivory Coast's second goal they did against- combine Pepe just taps it in. Zaha no, did he all the work. He backheels it in. Yeah, okay. He backheels it, it in. It was a sublime finish to a wonderful build up. It was the kind of thing that if he'd missed it, he thought, oh, he's ruined what would have been a brilliant goal, but he didn't. He gave it the finish it deserved. Yes, but the, the talk of combination, which is what it has been described of, seems, seems a bit unfair on Zaha. He right. basically beats six players and then tees up Pepe to put it in from on the goal line. Yeah, he dances through the DR Congo resistance, and, and, and then Pepe, as I say, does a little kind of mini Zola at the end. Uh, very nice. Good. Well, there you go. That's international football. Anything we've missed in that pretty comprehensive roundup? I did think it was slightly ludicrous that Sporting said they would be prepared to rename their stadium after Cristiano Ronaldo, oh. given that he played 30 games for them and scored five goals and the stadium's named after the person who founded the club. Right. Seems a bit of a stretch. That does seem surprising, mm. doesn't it? His uh, last yeah. game for Sporting was at the inauguration of the stadium. That game against, synergy. That right. game against Manchester United where he was so good that Manchester United were like, we're going to have to sign him. Right, that incredible. United only went over there because they wanted a big-name opponent for the first uh, game. Mm. Well, one other thing, actually, internationally, we, we might mention, and it touches on that whole injury thing, is that Neymar, in the course of another disappointing performance from Brazil, has picked up yet another disappointing injury. The third time that he's been injured on Brazil duty in the last 12 months, um, and the second injury was the ankle injury that kept him out of the Copa America. They're playing Nigeria in Singapore on what was apparently a fairly ropey pitch in front of a pretty thin crowd. And it, it seems, I don't know, it, it, quite anachronistic that in 2019, Brazil are still travelling around the world playing friendlies in front of empty stadiums in the way that they've been doing since the 1950s. Right. And yeah, you can imagine that at PSG, they'll be pretty miffed that Neymar's picked up another injury. I mean, it, you know, it, apparently the initial scan suggested it was a fairly minor hamstring tear, so he right. doesn't look like he'll be out for all that long. But it probably means he's going to miss his his Champions League return, which was due to take place against uh, Club Brugge. And yeah, by all accounts, not, not a vintage Brazil display. No, 48 matches he's missed in the last two seasons so far and Brazil's uh, money chasing antics continue they'll be screening matches on internet only platforms <laughs> soon the way they're going I'm Jose Mourinho I know a thing or two about being special nearly dying in a laundry basket special winning the little jackpot on Paddy Power Games not special understood Jose yes someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day so if you win, don't think you're special. Daily Jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. 18plusbgamblerware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Hey, listen, I don't know what you were getting up to while all that was going on, but we've had Nick Miller come in 
with a laptop and quiz questions. Nick, thank you so much. That's quite all right. What have you knocked up for us? Some quiz questions, yes. James. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there are a number of categories. How's it going to work? So I'm going to ask the questions. The uh, panel in the studio are going to write their answers down, and then later on... Right, and you podcast, at home as well, listener. You gra- play along. Grab a pen and paper. And then later on in the podcast, we'll come back with the answers. All right, so what is it? Kind of mu- Is it themed rounds? What, what do we sure, do? Sure, yes. There are. Uh, so we've got a round on career paths, or limited career paths, and then something on quotes, and oh. then there's some bonus rounds later on if we've got time. Yeah, we've got time. It's International Week, Nick. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Time's what we've got. All right, well, uh, fire away then. If you're, if you, Are you ready, listener? Okay, let's go with round one. So round one is career paths. These are, I'm going to give you the first three clubs for three current Premier League players. You've got to identify the player. First one, Sporting, Porto and Monaco. Name the current Premier League player. Next one, Manchester City, Notts County and Leeds United. Hmm, Man City, Notts County and Leeds. And the third one, Vela Sarsfield, Porto and Valencia, who is the current Premier League footballer whose first three clubs were they. Wow, those are three tough questions, Nick. Sporting Porto Monaco, Man City Notts County Leeds, and Vélez Sarsfield Porto again, and Valencia. How are you guys faring with those? Not well. No? Yeah. Not not struggling? S- not so good. Michael let out an excited yelp at one point. I think I got two. Two of them. All right, that's the that's the bar list. Now, can you beat that? Well, anyway, while we're pondering on that, here comes round two. Okay, so these are quotes. I'd, I'd, I'd like you to identify the person that these quotes were referring to, or the person who's talking to. Right. So not the person who said them, but who they were referring to. Okay. So the first one is, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Good lad. Interesting. So who who, who's who's referring to? Who was the good lad in question? Yes. Second one. When I was a 14-year-old, I used to get to those first team games early so I could watch him warm up. He was so graceful. Everything he did was so classy. I couldn't wait to watch him play. Then when I met him man-to-man, it was, oh my God, what a... I can't believe this. Right. Is it Michael Owen? No. Okay. I can see why you'd think that. Um, right, here's a third one, listener. Third one. You'll probably recognise the quote. Um, I'm not convinced that he won't play. The Italians are innovators of the smokescreen. When they tell me it's pasta, I still check under the source to make sure. Right. Well, we all we're, know who said that. We're looking for... Who's he talking about? Who's Which injury? The, who's the he? Right. In Interesting. So there you go. Good lad. What a... Oh. And the pasta quote. Wow. All right. I'm perplexed, listener. You may be too. Uh, and uh, well, don't worry, because that at least we'll have answers to later on in the show, Nick. And maybe a special bonus round too. Who knows? For now, let's press ahead uh, with a quick word on the WSL, the alternative football universe, where they've actually just come <laughs> back from their international break and Man United win games. Back-to-back victories. In fact, they uh, did Liverpool, now, now Spurs. This weekend, the match which dominated a lot of people's attention was Chelsea-Arsenal at Kings Meadow. And Michael, you went along to that. I did, yes. How was it? Really, really good game. Excellent. All right. A, a win for Chelsea, 2-1, in, in what had been seen as a big test of their uh, title credentials. And a sizable crowd as well. You were one of over 4,000 people there. Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, it's it's a good ground when it's got that level of uh, crowd in it. Just a good atmosphere as well. But I thought the game was exceptional. Just great intensity throughout. 
you know, some excellent players on show, really good technical quality. I guess a classic game of two halves. Arsenal went 1-0 up quite early and dominated the rest of the first half. No real sign that Chelsea were were coming into things. And then after half-time, it completely flipped and Chelsea... Um, got fairly early equaliser through Beth England um, and then just had constant pressure really for the rest of the game and eventually got a winner through you might have to help me out here uh, Matt uh, Maria Thonsdottir Thonsdottir there we go very yeah. nice um, it's, it, it's such a significant win for Chelsea this you can't really understate it it's a year ago today Monday that Arsenal won 5-0 at Kings Meadow against Chelsea and that uh, essentially ruined Chelsea's season they went on a terrible run after that They'd been all right at the start of the season without being exceptional. Um, so this is really, really important for them and, and it ended Arsenal's 100% start to right. the season too. All right, leaves you second in, in the table, two points behind Man City. Yeah, four games gone. Chelsea second, two points behind City. They beat Birmingham convincingly on Saturday. Um, Chelsea a point ahead of Arsenal, who are in third. And as you say, Man United fourth, pretty impressive, given it's their first season in the top flight. Mm. There was a really interesting battle between uh, Leah Williamson and Beth England, who are two of the big winners of the England international break. And that's centre-back against centre-forward. And I thought it was really interesting because they're just completely different profiles of players. Williamson's, you know, not a conventional centre-back. Is, is quite slight. Is brilliant on the ball. Excellent positionally. Really good at intercepting. Maybe not the best in a physical sense. And England just looks like terrifying to play against. So it was a really interesting battle where uh, Williamson was excellent first half, spreading the play really well. And then Chelsea were just able to almost just knock hopeful balls into the channels and, and just lob balls for, for kind of headers like the header she scored uh, for England last week. And it was just, yeah, a fantastic kind of individual duel. Um, but it was it was a really good atmosphere. It's, you know, I'm used to going to Kings Meadow when Kingstonian were there and there's mm. kind of 300 people. But when there's 4,000 and, you know, you've got an away section, but you've also got some Arsenal fans mixed in with the Chelsea fans. It's just, it's a really good atmosphere. Which game did you enjoy more this weekend? Like, was it that one or Kingstonian away at Cashorton Athletic? Uh, that was too old. To be fair, they were both good games. The Kingstonian game featured uh, the car shortened right back winning an aerial header, heading it up in the air. And then when the ball came down, he won the second header, but also headed that straight up in the air. Right. And when the ball came down, won the third header. Right. And that's the kind of thing you want on non-league day. Absolutely. There was a Brazilian player, that, or Foca, who was... Uh, <laughs> uh, that means seal in Portuguese. Curlon. Curlon, yeah. The, good knowledge, the Tom. seal dribble. Yeah. Brilliant. Still um, playing. I think he's is in he? Serbia these days, or he's uh, or he? Slovakia, right? Or last last spotted in in Eastern Europe. Somewhere. What 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 happened? Meantime, to the to the Kershaw defender, the, the the third time the ball came down. Yeah, this was very much not dribbling. This was heading the ball twenty yards up in the air. Okay. Twice in a row, and being first to the second and third ball. Brilliant. Love it. Okay. Right. A valuable point for Kingstonian in a difficult season in the Isthmian League Premier Division. Am I right? Yeah, a little bit, but got a cup run, and that's the main thing. Excellent. Very good. Listener, uh, there'll be more discussion of the WSL weekend in the Offside Rules WSL edition, which probably is with you now. If you've subscribed to that, why not uh, join the subscribers if you haven't already? It is, of course, free. Uh, Quick mention of our live shows. As you may know, we're going to be in Dublin on Friday the 8th of November. The following day, Boris's border checks permitting, we will be in Belfast uh, Saturday the 9th. And then we head to Liverpool on Monday, November the 25th. And Michael, you're part of that extraordinary romp across the, uh, you know, the island of Ireland. Uh, Jules and Duncan will be along for those shows as well. And then it's Jules and Duncan uh, with Raphael Honingstein in Liverpool. All the information anyway, uh, you can find at thetotallyfootballshow.com forward slash 
events. You can also find loads of new editions of Golazzo there, excitingly enough. Four new episodes are with you. All the old ones are still available, of course, and there's one of them on the great Claudio Ranieri, which is very topical because he is back. Uh, I can't think many people won't have seen Sampdoria's tweet reading Dilly Ding Dilly Dong and not reacted with a with a smile at the kindly-hearted uh, Premier League winning genius's return to management. He's taken over at Sampdoria, who, in a little bit of a Fulham bis and in a little bit of a repeat scenario from his last gig as a gaffer, uh, they are bottom of the table with an absolutely abject defensive record. They decided to get rid of uh, Eusebio Di Francesco and brought him in. Uh, they lost six of the first seven. Curiously enough, he did take over from Di Francesco at Roma last season and did pretty well, good end to the season. But, um, yeah, he's got to sort that defence out. As I say, it's all quite reminiscent of, of Craven Cottage. But fingers crossed, fingers crossed. He'll be gone in six months, won't he? Who, Ranieri? Yeah. Just I bet he'll just... steady the ship. Yeah, yeah. This is his 20th club, I think, isn't it? 20th appointment, 17 different clubs plus Greece. He did Roma and Valencia twice. Uh, Leon are looking for a new manager, Tom, and it's not going to be Jose Mourinho. It's not going to be Jose Mourinho. Um, so they are seeking to replace Silvino, former Arsenal uh, and Barcelona favourites. Who? What, uh, what triggered that? Because he'd been a little bit unconvincing so far, no? Yeah, well, they. so basically, Leon have... Um, undergone some quite significant changes over the summer. Uh, Janino Panambucano, their greatest ever player, returned to the club as sporting director and he was allowed to appoint his own coach and he picked Silvino, um, who was working as an assistant to the Brazilian national team. Didn't have any uh, experience as a number one manager, but he was Janino's man. And he came in, they made a Good start to the season, actually really good start to the season, beat Monaco 3-0, thrashed Angers 6-0, and then things went wrong. Um, and basically, Leon are quite an attacking team. Savinia tried to make them a slightly more defensive team. Um, never managed to get the best out of the players at his disposal. It was very difficult to see what it was that he was trying to achieve. They had a good opening result in the Champions League, won 2-0 away at RB Leipzig, then lost a derby to Saint-Étienne, which is never uh, a good move for a Leon coach. Savinia was promptly sacked uh, and uh, Leon were left without a coach. Right. Uh, Jean-Michel Olas sent a text message to Jose Mourinho to see if he would be interested. And Jose, Jose so said no. How do no. we know about that? Because it felt like Jose had announced himself, I've been offered the Lyon job, but I'm no, not going to take it. No, it was Jean-Michel Olas himself, right. who was generally quite happy to, you know, to talk about what he's up to. He said that he'd contacted Mourinho. Mourinho had said, thanks, but no, I'm about to join another club. Really? What club do you think that is then? Who knows? If he really wanted him, would he not have rung him up rather than text him? Seems a bit casual, actually. Mm. Fair point. I think he's just about to join the Paddy Power Rewards Club. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm curious. So if, if he genuinely... Or was that just him saying, I've got a better offer? I wonder whether to... it was him fobbing Aulas off and hoping that Aulas wouldn't then make that public. Right. Um, so it's not going to be Jose Mourinho. Um, they drew up a shortlist of three candidates. Laurent Blanc. He's been okay. out of work for three years now. Right. Yeah. Rudy Garcia, sacked by Marseille at the end of last season, and uh, Jocelyn Gorvenek, the former oh. uh, Gangot and Bordeaux coach. And it looks like it's going to be Rudy Garcia. Really? Laurent Blanc was the favourite, but um, always works with a big uh, set of coaches. And Lyon have got a very well-structured coaching setup. So they were looking for someone to come in, maybe with one assistant, but no more. Uh, and it looks like that has been the final sticking point. As of this morning, Garcia is in Lyon uh, negotiating the terms of his contract. I mean, the Lyon fans were hoping for Blanc because 
he is the man who won the title with Bordeaux, who won the title with PSG, whose teams generally play very good football and who is a great figure of, of French football and French sport. Uh, Rudy Garcia, obviously, is, is a very successful, very accomplished coach, but having left Marseille, who were mm. basically the second biggest rivals after Saint-Étienne last season, does have a bit of a black mark against him. And things really unraveled quite quickly for Garcia at Marseille. So not the most popular appointment, but it looks like he is going to get the gig. I was hoping that Silvino would come back and manage Arsenal because I was interested how he would spell his name. Please because, elaborate. Because when he was at Arsenal, he spelt it with an I. Right. S-I-L. And since, or when he went back to Spain, it became a Y. Right. So presumably he'd stick with the Y if he came to Arsenal. But it'd be weird if we knew him as Silvino with an I for him then to manage Arsenal, Silvino with a Y. Yep. Entirely worth wrecking Arsenal's season to posit that whole scenario. I yeah. Maybe he could keep both spellings. And they'd be slightly different versions of him. And you'd never know. One was sort of like fiery and aggressive and one was a bit more relaxed. And you weren't ever sure which one you were getting. Just occurs to me that maybe Jose Mourinho's next job is the Sunderland one because that one's still... that position is still available isn't that right Matt? It certainly is yeah Gareth Ainsworth um, was apparently in talks after his come and get me plea to Lincoln which you might have right. heard on the Totally Football League show a couple yeah. of weeks ago which was which was quite extraordinary but yeah Sunderland, Reading, Barnsley, Southend, Orient, Millwall all still looking for new managers although by the time you listen to this Henrik Larsson might be the Southend manager really with Dirk Cout as his number two no way yeah which is quite extraordinary they lost 4-1 at home to Wimbledon on Saturday they're five points from safety uh, so he's not going into an easy job I'm, I'm thinking he probably doesn't have a massive knowledge of League One either um, but we'll have more of that on the Totally Football League show on Wednesday and we'll be talking about Forest Green as well I don't know if you've been keeping up with their owner Dale Vince, uh-huh. who is a big backer of Extinction Rebellion right. and is part of a committee trying to uh, stop a no-deal Brexit. He said last week that if Forest Green were contributing to climate change, then they should go bust. They would deserve to go bust. Right. Uh, Forest I mean, Green got a, an award um, for being the first carbon-neutral football club as mm. recognised by the United Nations last year. So they are a very interesting case study and we'll be, be having a look at them. Brilliant. Green by name? <laughs> exactly, green, green by nature. Be fa- that would be fascinating to see uh, uh, Henrik Larsson at Roots Hall and and Jose Mourinho anywhere in League One, League Two. I think would be just magnificent and a real response to those who say that you know effectively he just kind of swans around at the top clubs and then calls himself special. Well, League One, League One, is there that much of a difference? Oh, steady on. <laughs> now uh, there'll be more Henrik Larsson very, very shortly. As we flip the switch on our flip-reverse-it machine and we'll be getting the answers to those fiendish Nick Miller quiz questions. Yay! First, though, here comes producer Ben. Thank you very much, Jimbo. Hello, listeners. Lee Price is on the line from Paddy Power and Lee. Quite a few teams have already qualified for the Euros this summer, so take us through the favourites for the overall winners. Well, you'd think a couple of damaging performances for England would lessen their rise in our betting. But it hasn't. Uh, the Free Lions remain second favourites at 9-2, behind only France, of course, the world champions, who are 7-2. Next, you've got Belgium, who are so good, they've even got Christian Benteke scoring. And they're ahead of Germany, Spain, Holland, Portugal and Italy, in that order. An excellent run of teams, all of whom, you could argue, look like excellent value when compared to England. As we were saying, it was another really poor performance from Gareth Southgate's team in Prague. Um, so tell us, what are the markets looking like for his final 23-man squad? <laughs> yeah, our traders have saved Gareth Southgate hours of agonising because they've picked the England team and they've priced up who will and who won't make it. Here are the headline surprises from our traders, at least. 
Michael Keane and Kieran Trippier won't make it, we think, but Joe Gomez and Carl Walker in defence will. We make James Madison 1-5 to five to make the squad, therefore one of the most secure players in the whole team. But Fabian Delph, a mainstay under Southgate, doesn't make our cut, nor does Eric Dyer. Jesse Lingard, very divisive for many people, was 8-11, odds on to make the squad. Whereas up front, no surprises here, 1-25, to 25, Raheem Sterling and Harry Kane both make it. And finally, we're all quite excited that Claudio Ranieri is back in football. Can he keep Sampdoria up, though? Well, despite them being rock bottom, we think Samp will be fine. We are odds on they'll stay up, in fact, at 3-10. Or it's 2-1 to one they get relegated, with our betting suggesting they'll finish 16th in Serie A. In terms of who will go down, well, we don't think it'll be second bottom Genoa either. They're an even longer 6-1 to one to go down. Instead, it's third bottom Lecce who are favourites to go down, while Spau, who are currently 17th, are also odds on to get relegated. As for the final spot, our tip... 10th place for owner. Bold. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Listener, to help you through these final days of International Week, our friends at Beer52 want to give you a free case of craft beer. Super easy. All you have to do is head to beer52.com forward slash football. Now, typically, Beer52 put just eight beers in these cases, but they love Totally listeners so much, they're going to chuck in an extra two. So that's ten beers for free, and all you pay is £4.95 for next day's shipping. Beer52 are beer pioneers, working with small batch breweries from all over the world to bring you hoppy IPAs, hazy pale ales, and eclectic lagers from Italy, the Czech Republic, Korea, California, and everywhere in between. There's no minimum commitment with Beer52. You just take the free case, try the beers, and see what you think. If it's not for you, you can pause or cancel your subscription at any time. So head to beer52.com slash football and claim your free case of craft beer right now. That's beer 52 all right let's tinker with the timeline again with a bit of flip reversing mike you're not a fan of flip reversing no i wasted everyone's time really <laughs> But surely it just underlines the arbitrary nature of what we consider football history, how it all pivots right. on sometimes the most trivial of events. The only thing I'm interested here is this Arsenal and Barcelona. Right. I want to find out how Silvino's name changes according to these <laughs> events. There you go. Well, for that and more, let's go back, Tom, to the year 2006. Crazy by Niles Barkley has been number one like forever. Ashley Cole has been swerving in his Mercedes. Spurs have been having some bad lasagna. And Arsenal have a Champions League final. A Champions League final, Tom, against Barcelona with Honorginho Eto, Julie, and crucially, Henrik Larsson. Now, Tom, as it turned out, Larsson comes on. Jens Lemon's been sent off. Sol Campbell gives Arsenal the lead. But then it's the arrival of Larsson that turns the game around. And Barcelona win it 2-1 and go on to dominate football effectively. And Arsenal fade and almost disappear from the top table of European football. I'm slightly oversimplifying, but that's largely what happened to these two teams that felt at the time almost equivalent. What would have happened if Jens Lehmann hadn't picked up that red card? Well, 
Here's my hypothesis. I don't think all that much would have changed for Arsenal beyond them becoming the first London club to win the Champions League because generally when a manager wins a major competition, it just convinces him that he's on the right path and needs to continue down that path. But Wenger thought that anyway and losing the Champions League final didn't change the way that he went about his job, so I would winning it. So I imagine that Arsenal would probably have carried on on roughly a similar trajectory. But the implications for Barcelona, on the other hand are seismic for the history of world football, namely because Frank Rijkaard stays in the job. Of course he does. He's reached the Champions League final. Barcelona have won the league at a canter. But we know there are underlying issues there at Barcelona, which in real life culminate in him losing his job a couple of years later and being replaced by Pep Guardiola. In this flip-reverse alternative reality, Mm. all of those factors are accelerated. He can't point to the Champions League trophy um, to sort of save him. So he ends up losing his job sooner than in, in actual fact maybe in 2007, maybe during the 07 and 08 season. But the bottom line is, at this point, Pep Guardiola is nowhere. OK, he's at Barcelona in, in charge of the B team. If the sacking takes place during the course of that season, he doesn't yet look ready for anything beyond that. So when Barcelona are casting around for a mantra of no. playing Frank Rijkaard, who do no. they go to? <laughs> no. Who else but Jose Mourinho, who, in, actual, in, in reality, was the man vying with Guardiola for the job. Wow, Barcelona go to the dark side. They go to the dark side. Come 2007... Uh, Chelsea have lost the league title to a resurgent Manchester United and in in reality Mourinho loses his job early in the 2007-08 season perhaps with Rijkaard having got the boot at Barcelona Mourinho gets brought in earlier they send him a text they send him a text message which as we know is his preferred means of communication uh, and he takes on the job so what happens to Barcelona well he inherits this fantastic squad that's got a few bad eggs and and needs sorting out and he turns them into the best team in Europe. Right. Because he has... tracking back. Etc. Obviously, he's going to use Xavi, he's going to use Iniesta, he's going to use Lionel Messi. But without Guardiola's genius behind the scenes, tiki-taka doesn't ever really happen. I mean, okay, Spain, I think, go on and win Euro 2008. But where would Guardiola then surface, do you think? Because presumably he would surface. Would he just wait for Mourinho to be fired after the third season? I imagine so. Right. Um, So maybe at some point in the future, Guardiola does become Barcelona coach. And then maybe he does turn them into the team that he did actually turn them into in in reality. Right. Um, But yeah, so basically no tiki-taka revolution, or at least not when it actually happened. Lionel Messi becomes the best player in the world because obviously he's Lionel Messi, but not freed by Guardiola to play in this super destructive false nine role. Right. He spends a lot of time tracking back on the right flank, right. covering the opposition left back. So he becomes a sort of 30 to 40 goal a season player right. and he's obviously the best player in the world, but no more. Um, and on the international front, without that Barcelona influence on the Spain team, right. they don't win the 2010 World Cup. Germany win it. Um, and the sort of the Germany peak era arrives a little sooner because there aren't any other dominant uh, international teams at that time. Okay. Wow, that's that's extraordinary, isn't it? Um, Ashley Cole, does he stay then or does he still move to Chelsea? I suspect he probably still moves to Chelsea because it's like, well, what else am I going to achieve at Arsenal? I've won the, you know, right. I've done the invincible season. And I've won the fair, European they've, Cup. They've offended him with that contract. Well, offer. grossly offended him. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think Arsenal would just carry on Arsenaling in, in the way that they actually did. And the, and the biggest question of all, how does Silvino spell his name in, in Tom's dimension he actually changes his name to a symbol um, <laughs> and becomes referred to as the left back formerly known as Silvino <laughs> genius wow that's remarkable isn't it Michael did you enjoy that yeah my perceptions of flip reverse it have entirely shifted thank right. you thank you for that you've flip reversed <laughs> Michael's wow feelings who'd have thunk it brilliant excellent
Well, listener, do you know what? I think that all that remains for us in this edition of the Totally Football Show is to reveal the answers to Nasty Nick Miller's <laughs> mind-numbing quiz. Let's get, let's get Nick's coming in now. Nick, welcome back. Hello, James. Hello to you. They were really difficult questions. If you could read, out the, uh, if you could read them out again, we'll see who's got them right and who hasn't. So the first round was career paths. This is the first three clubs of three current Premier League players. So the first one was Sporting, Porto and Monaco. All right, anyone get that? Tom? I think that's Juan Machino. It is Juan Machino. Ding, 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 All right, one point for Tom. Did you? anyone else get that right? Juan Machino. Okay, Michael also got that right. So one point for Michael as well. Question two. Whose career path went Man City, Notts County, Leeds? Anybody get that? Casper Schmeichel. It was Casper Schmeichel. Correct. Well done. That's very clever. Anybody else get that? Michael is so uh, is so aloof to this. He's just showing me his papers. Not even. Michael's also on, even he's talking. On, he's on two points now. The early leader. You are as well, listener, aren't you? Uh, okay. Third question. Vélez, Sarsfield, Porto, and Valencia. And I could see from Michael's paper that he had got that right. So damn. Who is it, Michael? Uh, Otamendi. It is Nicolas Otamendi. Oh, yeah. Tom got that as well. So Tom's that. on two points. So how are we doing, Matt? Just one for me. One. Two for two. me. So, Tom. Three for Michael And Cox. I'm on a perfect score as well. I'm <laughs> zero. Okay, round two, listener, are you ready? So these were quotes, and we're looking for the person who this quote was referring yep, yep, to yep. or talking to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Good lad. It was Brian Clough about Dom Revy. It was. Always worth pointing out that uh, Dom Revy was the England manager at the time. He was called a good lad by Brian Clough. Several times <laughs> in that interview. The, 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 so, so that puts you on two points, Matt. It certainly right? does, yeah. Two points. I, I knew that, that was Clough, but I couldn't think he yeah. was. I went Billy Bremner, but obviously uh, it was from yeah. the famous yeah. ITV uh, confrontation. Right. Michael, did you get I, Yeah, I knew it was Clough. I went for Motson. Oh, mm. oh, close. Okay then. So the next one. Uh, when I was a 14-year-old, I used to go to those first team games early school, watch him warm up. He was so graceful. Everything he did was so classy. I couldn't wait to watch him play. Then when I met him man to man, it was oh my god, what a call! I can't believe this. Tom has got his hand up. That was Teddy Sheringham from his autobiography, I believe, on Glenn Hoddle. That is correct. Yes. Brilliant, Tom. You're on two points as well, now. Three. Points. Oh, you're on three, tied with. Oh, Michael's got it as well. Michael got it as well. Right. Congratulations. I put uh, Ibrahimovic. Oh, fair. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see why. <laughs> All right, and the final one, listener. Final one. Uh, this was Alex Ferguson's famous quote about uh, when the Italians tell me it's pasta. Yeah. I still check into the source to make sure. Yeah. Who was he talking about? Okay, I believe that this is the only one I've got right. Was it Del Piero? It wasn't Del Piero. Ah, oh, I put no. Del Piero as well, James. Yeah, Michael, Michael put, did as well. I put Del Piero. Del Piero. Tom? It was obviously a Juventus player. Was it Zidane? It wasn't a Juventus player, no. It was in the lead-up to uh, their quarter-final against Inter in 1999. Ronaldo. It was Ronaldo. Not that Ronaldo. That Ronaldo. That Ronaldo. Nick, that was so difficult. So... Uh, uh, what were the scores then? Scores? The I, I think we know. We all know who's won. But surprise, uh, what was? surprise! All right, Michael Cox. How many points you get? I've got four. Four, four, four out, out of six. six. You Three boys. Out of six. Two. Well, and that's all we got time. I reckon. <laughs> I reckon there's a good chance a listener has got six. Yeah. Did can you we, listener? Can we trust them? Though? Knowledgeable. Yeah, yeah. Be honest. They're our listener. We, tr- we trust the uh, honesty of our listeners. That's that. You can hear is the sound of Michael Cox contemptibly screwing up his answers. (laughs) He's crushing the paper like he just did that quiz. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, Nick, that's brilliant. 
Uh, if you'd like more quizzes, listener, do let us know or just get in touch. Send Nick a text and he can take us, send me a text. Take us out of the hole. <laughs> You're going to give everyone my process. number. Number yeah. will That's follow we'll that shortly. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday uh, to round up the rest of the international break and, of course, look forward to the return of the Premier League. Jack Lang will be here, Daniel Story as well, and Duncan Alexander. Oh, I'd like to see him have a go at your quiz. I, I wouldn't. Really? Yeah, that was that's scary. Yeah. Uh, very good alright that's it though for today's show many thanks to Matt to Nick to Tom and to Michael and you listener have a great week until we catch up with you again on Thursday you've been listening to the Totally Football Show a Muddy Knees Media production for sales and advertising please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at the Totally Show on Twitter and make sure you check out our brand new website too thetotallyfootballshow.com dot